Well, good morning, everybody. That's right, the caffeinated service. Good to see you with your Octa shots from Starbucks. Uh, we've been, uh, oh, by the way, my name is Brian. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of the pastors here, so I'm the guy that's going to speak today. Uh, I, uh, I oversee a f- number of things here at uh, East Point. I actually planted the church with, with Kurt and Laura. My wife, Heather, and I planted the church back in 03. And it's an honor to be here this morning just to share the word with you. Kurt has uh, taken you guys through a mini-series called Three Prayers, God Always Answers. And so far, Kurt has covered God Forgive Me and God Change Me. And this week, I'll be covering God Use Me. And just to kick things off, I want to pray that prayer. So let's bow our heads. And here it is. Lord, I have four words. This is it. Jesus, use me. Amen. Amen. Use me this morning, Lord. You know, I, I, have you ever prayed that prayer? God, use me. I've prayed that prayer uh, several times. And at times, God answers it in, in some amazing ways. Just amazing ways. For example, uh, in 2002, my wife and I prayed, Lord, use us in ministry. By 2003, we planted East Point Church with, uh, with Kurt and Laura. That's a cool thing. In 2003, my wife and I, we prayed, Lord, uh, use us as parents. Up to that point, we were told we couldn't have kids, we wouldn't have kids. And so we just prayed, Lord, use us as parents. By March 2004, we had two babies seven months apart, okay? Wow. Um, I came to church one day and my friend Jim said, I can tell you're a new dad. And I was like, why? He goes, you've got spit up all over your shoulder, dude. I was like, awesome. <laughs> no, it's good. That was a busy, the Lord blessed us with that. We had one, one of our uh, uh, boys replaced in our arms, the other in our womb, you know, both born in our hearts. It was beautiful. It was a, it was a great, I, I, I can't, it was a great answer to prayer. Uh, so many different things in my life I look back and remember. When I was 18 years old, just a, a few years ago, um, <laughs> you know, back in 1987, I, I, was, I was kind of a baby Christian, new in my faith, and, and I wanted to do something Amazing! I wanted to do something incredible. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to South Africa, which at that time was in, in apartheid. And I'll explain that in a second if you don't know what that means. Um, and I went with a mission organization called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. And I spent six weeks down there. And South Africa was not a very fun place at that time. Uh, as soon as you got off the plane, uh, you noticed right away that the city was broken up into three parts. White, colored, and Black. Anyone colored, anyone black was shipped out of the city at night. Literally, buses just came, took them all out, took them to the townships. It was against the law to be colored or black in Durban, South Africa in 1987. I wanted to hit the beach. I was ready to see the ocean. Couldn't do it because someone planted landmines on it. Kind of a scary place. My first couple days there, I was, I was with some roommates, and these guys, they were awesome. They were, some of them were new Christians, others weren't. And these guys were just amazing. But we got stuck with what I called the shoppers, the missionary shoppers who wanted to hit the marketplace and buy baskets and shirts and rugs and car, you know, that kind of stuff. And so we were like, Lord, we want to be used. And so one morning we got up and we just prayed. We said, Lord, use us, use me. Do something cool. We're in Africa. It's scary down here right now. Okay? So that morning we got up and we went to this park and there was this life-size chess game going on, people moving these huge things, you know, around doing these. And this guy comes and sits down to me, and he's a black South African with a briefcase, very successful businessman. And I'm telling you, in the 1980s, that was rare to see in that part of the world. 
And he looks at me and he goes, hey, are you with this Christian organization that's here? And I said, yeah. And he goes, tell me about Jesus. Okay. So I spent like an hour and a half talking to this guy. And when I was done, my friend Mike looked at me and said, dude, you should be a pastor. I was like, whoa, that's incredible. So we left from there. We went to, we had to meet a friend for lunch, a buddy who was actually a police officer in South Africa. And we sat down with him and he had this sort of freaked out look on his face, and he said, I need you guys to pray for me. And we're like, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, I sat to talk to this homeless guy, and before I could say anything, he knew everything about me. And this is what he told us, no lie. He goes, it was obviously a demon, the way this guy spoke. and everything. It was, it was, it was scary. I, didn't, I was 18 years old. I hadn't come across someone saying, hey, man, I hung out with a demon this morning. What did you do? And, and so we prayed for him, and I'm, I'm like freaked out. So you know what we did after that? Just to relax, just to chill? We went and for two hours ministered to a witch doctor. I'm not kidding. The guy wore, he, he looked like, um, like a business guy who got part of his costume from, uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean. And he had a bag of dead animals and like this walking stick, you know, that looked like what, Rafiti? What was his name? I want to say from the Lion King, you know, that had that stick. And he, the guy was interesting. Later on that day, my friend Aaron said, you know what, I kind of feel, he's three weeks old in the Lord, this guy Aaron. He goes, you know, I kind of feel like the Lord wants me to preach. So he stands up on this street corner and he begins to preach in a language he doesn't know, which just happened to be Zulu, which where we were at. And I'm like, oh, whatever, come on. Within minutes, there were three dozen people on their knees weeping, giving their lives to Christ. And I'm walking around going, okay, let's pray for him. And I'd pray over a guy and he would stare at me and say something in Zulu and I'd say, well, amen, let's pray for you. Because I didn't know what he said. You know, he's like, I said, what up, Jesus. You know, I'm like, okay, let's pray. All day this happened, the whole day that happened. And finally the evening came, we went and got something to eat and we thought, okay, let's, we gotta go wash some clothes, we gotta get some chores done. We go to the laundromat, we sit down, you know, sometimes you just want to sit and just listen to some white noise and take a nap. And so where the three of us are sitting there, me and these two roommates, and this gal comes up, she's running the laundromat, and she goes, hey, I've, I noticed that one of you guys had a Bible. Could, could you tell me about Jesus? I've, I've heard about Islam and some other things. Tell me about who Jesus is. And we're like, are you kidding me? No! <laughs> no, we, we shared Jesus with her, and we gave her a Bible, and it was... It was an amazing day. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but that's not a typical day for me. <laughs> Let's go hang out with witch doctors. Those are some amazing examples. And, and there's probably more that I could talk about. But I have to be honest. The primary way, or by far the most common response has, at least in my life, when I sincerely ask God, use me, is that he sends me people that are hurting he did this before I was a pastor. I worked actually in a hospital. So I, I took care of people that were hurting. And he's done this in my, really my whole life. He sends me people who are hurting. Or he puts me in tough leadership situations, which can be pretty rough. There's times also when uh, God calls me to do great, fun, exciting things like officiate weddings. That is such a blast. But then God will also call me to officiate a very, very, very untimely funeral, which can be uh, not so fun. In fact, sometimes I can't help but to think, really, God? I, I prayed, I asked you to use me, and, and, and what do you do? You, 
you put me in these painful situations. Isn't there something less painful that you can give me? It's not very fun. I want to do weddings, Lord. I don't want to do funerals. God, use me, but isn't there another way? Isn't there another thing I can do? Isn't there a different approach? You ever feel that way? That prayer, and I've honestly prayed that prayer, that prayer reminds me of another prayer that Jesus prayed. And this is what Jesus prayed in in Luke 22. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Okay, now, for those of you who don't know maybe the story of Jesus, he wasn't offering a cup of coffee to his father, okay? What he was doing is Jesus was facing the cross at this point. And his father's plan was profound. His father's plan was to take all of the sin that every person has ever committed in the present, in the past, and in the future and stuff it into his son to the point where even scripture says Jesus didn't just take those sins to the cross, he became those sins. So there's some sort of strange metaphysical thing going on in scripture that I don't completely get. But he stuffs this into his son and plans to kill him on the cross for you and me. That's the cup. And so Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup for me, yet not my will but yours be done. Use me. Use me. See, when it comes to praying this prayer, perhaps at least as a Christ follower, maybe I pray that because Jesus prayed that. If, if you've got an outline, that's number one on your outline. It's, you know, we pray to be used because Jesus prayed to be used. We pray to be used because Jesus prayed to be used. And that's fascinating. You know, Scripture actually tells us that our attitude, our feelings, our opinions, our posture in life ought to resemble, it ought to reflect or even be the same as Jesus's. It says that in Philippians 2. Read it. It's fascinating. And Jesus served people to the point of death. He died. Scripture challenges us to have that attitude. So perhaps the greatest call for those of us who know Christ and follow Christ is to simply look like him, to be like him, to wrestle from moment to moment over what that looks like in every situation in life. And if you know the story of Jesus, you know he served others by healing them, by listening to them, by teaching, by leading, in more than one case, by rebuking. He walked with others, shoulder to shoulder. He cried with others, struggling with their loss. (laughs) He held kids in his arms. He welcomed children. He touched the untouchable and so much more. He had a lifestyle of sacrifice and service, and he did this with complete humility, being submissive to his Father's will and his Father's word. That's how Jesus served others. That's how he served. When Jesus was facing the cross, he knew that his immediate followers, these 12 guys that were just hanging out with him, he knew that they would struggle in his absence. So he prayed for him. He prayed for these 12 men. Because he was sending them into a world that didn't know Jesus, and in some cases didn't want to know Jesus. 
And their mission was to share this thing that, that, that is called the good news. That's what gospel means. It's this good news. What's the idea? It's the idea that Jesus died and rose again to make sin a non-issue in the lives of those who commit to following Christ. That's the good news he's giving these 12 guys. And the fruit of that commitment in, others, in their lives and the lives of others that they share this with would be love and joy and peace and, and patience and kindness and all the other fruit of the Spirit that's listed. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Jesus prayed for their success because he knew it wouldn't be easy for them. It wouldn't be easy. And then Jesus does a fascinating thing. He prays for you. And he prays for me. Listen to this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. My prayer is not for just these 12 guys. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. He prayed for you, prayed for me. And there's something incredibly profound about this prayer that we've just got to pick up on. You see, the, the prayer of Jesus is to use me through us. We'll say that again. The prayer of Jesus is to use me through us. This is number two on that outline. We're used through me, through we, not just me. That's what the body of Christ is, you guys. It's us, all of us. And the results of this, according to Jesus, they're amazing. They're amazing. This is what Jesus prayed for. This is what he, he said would happen. He said that, that through our oneness, the world would know that God sent Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. He said that through oneness or alignment or togetherness, unity, he said that oneness would actually bless people that see it and experience it. We, we sang about, one of the, in one of the songs we were singing, I just picked this up, uh, if, uh, Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We actually sang about that during, during worship. When you, have you, anyone here ever been to a good restaurant? Yeah, three of us? Great, okay, awesome. <laughs> Whatever, all right. Uh, we've all been to good restaurants. We've been to restaurants where we've tasted the food and went, wow, you know? If you're like my two uh, nine-year-olds, they just, like with pizza, just, you know, tree shredders. You know when they like it. Right? It's obvious. You can see it on their faces. They got food everywhere. There's a smile on their face, and they're like, oh, that was good. You see, guys, when we do oneness, when we get it right, it's like that. People can taste and see that the Lord is good. If we get this oneness right, people believe in Jesus. Okay, now listen. The opposite is true, too. The opposite is true. If we get this oneness wrong, people won't believe in Jesus. If we get this wrong, people will miss opportunities for knowing and walking with Christ. Oh, we gotta get this right. 
people don't like to taste something that looks nasty. You ever get a bowl of food in front of you that looks like, you know, yuck? Yeah, okay, more people are like, yes, I have. Yeah. We, I was at a restaurant once, and, my, and Pastor Jeff had a fly in his salad, and, and the person at the restaurant said, oh, we just forgot to wash the salad. And we were like, <laughs> no, no, we don't want to do that. It actually, if we get this wrong, it, it, it has the opposite effect. It, I've always found it interesting, and, and maybe you have too, I always found it interesting that Jesus prayed this prayer for us. Couldn't he have prayed for a lot of other things? But instead, he prayed that. He prayed for our oneness and unity. I wonder if it's because he thought we'd struggle with it. Hmm. 30 to, I don't know, 40 years later, uh, after Jesus prayed this prayer, uh, a guy by the name of Paul, who was one of the apostles, he's one of the authors of the New Testament, and he knew several of the original 12 disciples. He actually tagged off this crucial prayer that Jesus prayed when he was talking or sending letters to, to this group of people called the Ephesians. And so in chapter four, he, he sends this letter and he begins to challenge these Christians, these, the, these Ephesians who now believe in Jesus, they're kind of new in their faith, and he begins to challenge them to adapt their faith to their lifestyle. They knew what they believed, but they weren't completely living it out. They struggled with that. There was a disconnection, so Paul sent this letter to them. And this is, what he, this is what he focuses on, okay? And, and he, has a very, he has a very clear single focus. Let's see if, we, if you guys can identify what it is. Ephesians 4, verse 3, Paul wrote this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Don't fight. Get along. Okay? Verse 4, listen. <laughs> there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. He's praying and and, and directing as Jesus did. He's reminding them of that prayer. He's not sending this letter to them because they've got this figured out. He's not going, wow, the Ephesians have it together. They are one. That letter would have been really short, don't you think? It would have been, dear Ephesians, thanks for getting it, Paul. No, no, he says a lot more. He's reminding them of of the prayer of Christ. And in verse 7, he says something of vital importance. After emphasizing all this oneness, he says, But, but, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each one of us, so as individuals. But yet us, us is the body of Christ, right? There is one body, that's what he's talking about. A grace has been given, that basically means a gift for you has been given by God and designed by God to help others. I just think that's a beautiful truth. And Paul just doesn't say it to the Ephesians, he writes it in Romans 12. He says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given us. And then in Romans 12, he begins to list all these different gifts, all these different roles that we as the body of Christ are supposed to share together. He says, man, some of you guys are going to be teachers and encouragers. Some of you, and this is literally a gift, are going to be need meters. (laughs) You're just going to meet the needs of people. That's a gift from the Lord. Some of you are going to have a leadership gift. 
Some of you are going to have a special gift of mercy. In 1 Corinthians 12, he does the same things. He talks about all these different parts of the body with all these different gifts. He, he makes a, even a bigger list. And so God is saying through Paul that we are one, but we are gifted differently in talents, in roles, and assignments. And verse 11, you've got to put your thinking caps on for this paragraph. Verse 11, he says this. It was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Those are some leadership gifts there. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, first service when I read that, I had this look. Yeah! What? You know, what does that mean? Guys, this is what Paul is saying here. The better we get at unity, the more of Jesus we get to see. The closest anyone will ever get to being in the presence of Jesus while on this earth is when the body, and that is us, is on mission, is, is in alignment, and is one. When we are one, we get more of Jesus when we're in unity. When we're not in unity, we get less of him. That's not me making this up. This is Paul teaching on this. This is Jesus praying for it. We've got to want this. When we bring our gifts, our roles, our talents together, we have an amazing impact on this world. When we gather and we're on mission, the world will see and know who we are. And Jesus' prayer for us will be fulfilled. So let me ask you this question. And think about this for a minute. How often do you get a chance to answer one of God's prayers? How often? Because this is Jesus' prayer for us. In the next few verses in, in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul tells us that if we do this, we will not get blown around like styrofoam cup in the back of a truck. That's in the original Greek. Okay? <laughs> No, but he says that. If, if we do this, we won't get blown around by all the junk and all the teachings and, and stuff that this world has to offer. If we do this right, we won't get blown around like that. Rather, with Jesus as our head and his word as our truth, we grow into one big Jesus-like community and body. And we do Jesus things. In verse 16, it says this. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, that's us, every little part of the body, grows and builds itself up in love, and listen to this, this is huge, as each part does its work. When we bring our roles, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and we bring them together, we have this huge impact on the world, and this leads to the next point, number three. When we do that, <laughs> When we do that, this is what happens, you guys. People can become a part of what's happening here. When we do our part, others can be a part. That's number three. When we do our part, others can be a part. Another way to say that is when each part does his or her part, people get to be a part. Say that ten times. When each part does his or her part, people become a part. This is the way God designed this, you guys. Oneness leads to unity, belonging, community, healing, hope, forgiveness, 
transformation. Do you get that? This is what God wants for us, what Jesus prayed for us. When we work together, we're like one big Jesus doing Jesus stuff. And here's how we get to do this, and it's really profound. And I, I'm not like Jeff, I don't have six degrees. So you're gonna get the fascinated by small, shiny objects answer to this, okay? Here's how we apply this, okay? Somebody does something for a somebody. Right? Shiny object answer, right? Somebody does something for a somebody. With that talent, with that gift, with that, with that role that God has given you. You use that for Jesus. You lay it at his feet and say, not my, not my will, not today. Not my will, but yours. Yours. And you know what, you guys? Your church, the body of Christ, needs you to be a somebody for a somebody. It needs you to be a somebody for a somebody. This is how God answers our prayer to be used. We're used together in the lives of each other. So if you attend East Point, that means you serve the people here. And that's not me saying that. That's Jesus praying it. That's Paul teaching on it. And we, we also serve the people outside of this community. We do that too. That's part of our great commission. All right? Now, if you're visiting this weekend, you typically attend another church. Serve there. Be part of their story of unity and Christ-likeness. And if you're new to the whole church thing and you thought Ephesians was some sort of disease or illness, okay, I'm here to tell you, Jesus really does love, love you. The bumper sticker's true, right? He's got a plan for your life. And, and the Bible said that he created you to do good works. He died for you because you have eternal worth and value. And when Jesus created you, no matter who you are or what you've done, he said that person, he or she, is worth me dying for. They have eternal worth and value. I'm going to the cross for them. They're worth it. So find a church home. Become one. You know, and if you, if you have questions about what it means to start a relationship with Christ, at the end of the service, come talk to me. Come talk to our prayer team. We will guide you in what that looks like. It's pretty simple. You guys, loaning your skills to church oneness is the best investment of your life outside of marriage and family. It's, that's, part of that, that's a priority investment right there too. But loaning your skills to church oneness is the best investment you can make. You won't regret it. So listen, we pray to be used because Jesus prayed to be used. We are used through we, not just me. And we do our parts so others can be a part. That's the truth. And you're like, wow, Brian is actually done early. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I want to end by discussing 15 more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want to end... But by giving you just three reasons to serve. And this is important. And the first reason is this. People are worth serving. That's what I just talked about. People are worth serving. They have eternal worth and value. And I, I want to show you a picture of something. I, I don't know if you guys remember this. You know what that is? I know, your grandma's ugly wallpaper, right? That's what you're thinking? That's a magic eye picture. So if you stare at that long enough, apparently if you look, I'm told, if you look past it, you'll see a picture of a big heart pop out at you. 
Do you remember these things from the 90s? They were like the big craze. You'd walk in, people would have this beautiful office, office and they had this hideous picture framed and you'd like, wow, is that ugly wallpaper from your mother's house or something? Or you just want to remember your family? No, it's a magic eye painting. And you have to concentrate on that picture so that you can see past the surface and see what's inside of it. There was a prophet by the name of Sam, Samuel, and he was commissioned to go find the new leader of Israel. And so he was looking for anyone who looked like Thor, okay? So, you know, if you were just cut and huge and muscular and had a, you know, huge sword on your back or something, he was like, this has got to be the man. And the Lord sits Sam down and says, Sam, look, uh, I don't look at the things that you guys look for. I don't do that. Um, I look past the the surface and I look at the person's heart. And it was from that discussion that King David came around. <laughs> the skinny little kid with the slingshot that killed the giant. You know, I, I, I just think it's so important that we understand people are worth serving. We, we run into people we don't like. We see adults, even children, we don't want to be around because on the surface, man, they're just ugly wallpaper. My challenge to you is see past the surface. See past the surface. My friend Francesca, she uh, serves in the, the, the threes and fours. She overheard someone say, man, I cannot serve the threes and fours because those preschoolers are crazy. <laughs> you know, there's snot flying everywhere. They're jacked up on sugar when the parents drop them off, carrying in their latte, you know. And they're nine o'clock frappuccino. Woo! See, you guys got to see past that. Each of those children have eternal worth and value. And you know what she calls those kids? She says, and she'll burst into tears saying this. She'll say, these are my kids. These are my kids. So if you've got a three or four-year-old, your child is blessed if they're in that class this hour. They are blessed. Second reason why it's uh, important to serve is you can do it. You can do it, right? (laughs) I know, I know. I better not expand on that. Um, Sometimes we're just totally blind to how Jesus has changed us. We think that we're too screwed up, our past is too ugly, God can't use us, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You know, we believe it, but we're not convinced. We forget that there is a then and now theme in scripture, right, where we used to be one way and now we're this way, right? We used to be lost, but now we're found. We used to be broken, but now we're healed. We used to be a slave to Lord knows what but now we're free. We used to be stuck in darkness, but now we live in the light. People change and can have incredible impact for God's kingdom. That's what he wired you for. That's what he created you for. No matter how rough or scary or freaky your past has been, God can use you. I want to show you this video. I think it's awesome, so we're going to take a look at this. I would not want to meet him in a dark alley, you know. (laughs) But I just run into his arms, you know. You guys, it doesn't matter what our past is. God uses us. We're designed for that. He created us to do that. He created us to do it. And if you believe that that's not true, that's a lie. That's a lie. You can do it. You can do it. As the worship team comes back out, I want to give you the last reason to serve. And it's this. Number three. There are parts of the body, of this body, that needs you right now. There's parts of East Point that need you right now. I could spend a half an hour on this because we've got a lot of different ministries. Uh, I'm gonna just share a few with you. 
First of all, there's Adventureland. Now, I'm not just going to give this blanket push for Adventureland. You know what I would like to do? I would like to bless Francesca this morning. So if you uh, are interested in serving with her in the threes and fours, let's freak her out and send her 25 volunteers. Okay? (laughs) And believe me, I know Francesca, she will put you to work. Yeah? And love those kids because they have eternal worth and value. Right? Right? We can look past their hearts. Those kids are our uh, future leaders at our church, future evangelists, and more. Second thing, facilities team. If you're like, well, I'm just not ready to be with a, a ton of people or take care of kids, but I want to bless people in this community. You know, one of the things you can do in particular is fluff and buff the church. We have a team, uh, it's a large team of volunteers and a few paid people that get paid squat, but work very hard. Um, we would like to add to that team. And we need you guys to play a part of that. And in particular, we're looking for eight people, just eight, that will come in here once a week, clean the chairs, vacuum the floors, so that that first impression when someone comes into this auditorium is that, hey, they care about who's visiting. They care about me. They care about what I'm sitting in. (laughs) That's important. So join that facility team. We have a security team. These are a group of, of uh, awesome guys. I said this was a, the first service. I said this was a small team, and it's kind of funny because everybody in that team is like 6'5". Um, they were like, Brian, you called us small. You know. That's, you know what, we, have a, we call it the service team, and they do a lot of things around here, and they bless a ton of people. And here's the thing. We will really screen you if you're going to join this team because we're not going to uh, put a taser app on your smartphone and stick you at the front door. Does that people? Okay. Uh, that's an amazing team that does lots of different things around here. You'd be surprised. So if security's kind of your thing, uh, let us know. Fill it out in the sheet that you got or on a communication card. Tech team, Ty in the back. He runs so much stuff. If you guys like to sit behind uh, consoles that look like something out of Star Trek, that's your team, okay? And uh, you guys, it's a great team, but he needs help. He needs help with slides. He needs help with sound. He has a lot of stuff going on back there. And if you're a techie person, he needs you. So get signed up for that. And lastly, and really most important, we have a great prayer team. Uh, my friend Kim leads that. And you guys, I want to encourage you. Uh, if you're a prayer, if you're someone who just wants to pray for others, to pray for this church, join that team. The prayer team's up here. It's going to be up here after the service, available to pray for you. So think about that stuff. You guys, the body of Christ here at East Point, it needs you to do something for us, somebody. Do something for somebody. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. And um, we're going to give while we serve, and, and, or while we worship. And that's a way to serve too, right? We worship the Lord in our songs. We worship with, him, with our mind. And we worship God with our hands in serving others. So ushers, come on up and let's give while we worship. So one of the uh, 12 disciples, a guy named Peter, who struggled with getting things right from time to time, um, he wrote this in First Peter, a letter. He said, each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You guys, if you choose to serve, choose to work on unity, you'll be glad you did. The body of Christ needs a somebody to serve and bless a somebody right here. And that'll never change until Christ returns. That's our call. That's what what we're supposed to do. That's what Jesus prayed for. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I pray that, uh, that this hour has put a smile on your face. 
I pray that each of us would go home and really think about answering this prayer of what it looks like to be one, to be in unity, and to bless you and to honor that prayer that you prayed for us, Lord. So help us to answer that prayer. I ask that all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys, thanks for coming. If you need prayer, come forward. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend. God bless you.